compliments I heard about our church was, hey, is that the one with um, a bunch of kids? That's, that's awesome. We want you to continue to pray. This morning, you see, you see what we're doing here? We're not just saying, okay, oh, by the way, boys and girls that are upstairs today, you're like, what are my parents doing up here? This is where Pastor Tom talks for a long time, okay? <laughs> so, but, but we're doing a little different today. I'm only going to talk for a less time, and then Jeremy's going to give a, a, a message as well, and, and he's going to have a special uh, story for you guys with a wheelbarrow. So you, you'll want to pay attention. But this morning, I want to talk about the relationship between the church and the family. Remember Hillary Clinton? She had a book called It Takes a Village. And while I disagree with some of her ideas, the premise is true that it takes a church to raise our kids for Christ. Anyone who takes parenting, just non-Christians as well, if you take parenting seriously, you realize just how difficult this task really is. In fact, King Solomon the wisest man who ever lived except for Jesus, said this. He, he pointed out how raising kids can be your greatest joy, but also can be your greatest source of concern and sorrow, and, and it never ends. So if you're here this morning, you go, I don't have kids. Everybody's involved in this. Everybody will have something this morning to take away with. I want you to think about this. Solomon said this. A wise child makes their parents glad, but a foolish child brings grief to their children. I mean, to their parents. You say, all right. And then if you're a Christian, add to that, if, if you get it, if you go, you know, the gospel's about heaven or hell. I want my kids to know Jesus. You would agree with John when he said this in 3 John. I have no greater joy than this, that my children walk in the truth. Amen? It doesn't matter if they're a doctor, successful, or, you know, what, what difference does it make? You got the biggest house, go on all the great trips, if your kids aren't walking with the Lord. So, you look around and you go, man, it seems like the, the parent-child relationships in America are, are in a crisis. And there's a, a whole lot of reasons for that. It's a complex problem. And some of them that I thought of, obviously, much of that has to do with what they're seeing modeled in marriages or lack of marriages. Think about how many single parents are struggling to try to raise their kids alone. It's hard enough with, with a husband and wife. And then even subtle things like the intrusion of tech, technology. You're like, no, technology's good. I can put a video on for my kids and they don't have to watch them. Well, Sherry Turkle, if, if some of you are interested, there, she has a TED Talk. Now, it's not a Christian thing, but it's called Alone Together. It's a little 20-minute thing on the influence of technology, particularly texting. And she raises the question of why are so many young people saying, I'd rather text than talk? And so as Christians, we need to think about, okay, has technology become our friend or our enemy in terms of building a family? We've got busyness, desire for other things, particularly in general, just not making relationships a priority. So a lot of times, the average child right now in America talks to their parents maybe just a few minutes a day, especially teenagers. Plus, we've got the whole council of the ungodly. They, they, they live in a country, we live in a world where People are opposed to the Bible, opposed to God, and so so much of the things that they're told are, oh, that's old-fashioned, or if you believe that, you're hateful, and you can't trust the Bible. Then there's a lack of role models among leadership. But I personally believe the number one reason why our country is having this tremendous family breakdown is because we've abandoned the Lord. 
We don't understand what's happening in the school system, even though we kicked God out of the, the public schools. But this isn't a new problem. In fact, way back when, when the Old Testament was written, the very last verse of the Old Testament, God anticipated that there would be this great strain and breakdown between parents and children. And so he said in Malachi chapter 4, this is a great verse, God said, I'm going to send Elijah before the coming of the day of the Lord. And listen to this verse. He says, he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So this morning, I want to take a few moments to look at a passage that talks about raising our children to follow Christ. And and I don't have a simple sermon. Three happy things to do and all your kids will love Jesus because it's not that simple. God never promised that all of our children would walk with the Lord. He never promised that if you follow Christ, your kids will. But I can say this. It matters. Sometimes kids who end up following Christ, parents take too much credit. And sometimes if a kid doesn't follow Christ, you can take too much blame. But it matters. So I want you to to look with me. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible this morning... Our teens and some of our adults are, are helping to pass out. And be sure to thank them. They did a great job greeting, ushers. Love to see our kids getting involved. But we always give out Bibles here. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. You're welcome to keep this Bible. But I want us to look at a central passage. And I want you to remember a simple truth today. God wants every single person here to learn one or two things. Number one, he wants us to pursue a relationship with God. And then if you're a parent or grandparent, to pass it on to your children. Pursue a relationship with God and then pass it on to your children. That's what this passage is about. And so we're going to read it together. This is a very familiar passage, particularly to Jewish people, because they still recite the first verse. Every Sabbath, they, they come together and they stand up and they say, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Akkad, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And so... We as Christians should say, wow, man, God's got a, a word for us today. So let's, let's read it together, and then we'll pray. Read it with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this church. What a blessing it's been to me in blessing my children and my family, my grandchildren. I'm so thankful for the word this morning. And I pray that all of us will hear something from the the Lord through your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want us to think about, it doesn't matter if you have kids, you raised them, whatever, is that God wants every, every person on this earth to pursue a relationship with him. So, so look at this verse. It says, you shall love the Lord your God. Now, that seems kind of in your face, like, like 
in countries, it's so mind-boggling for us to consider, in countries where parents arrange marriages, you're basically told, this is your spouse, you shall love them. And you're like, wait, I got to choose who I love. You can't make someone love, it has to come from within. But you see, part of the problem is, is that we think love is primarily a feeling, a quiver in the liver, right? And so when we're told to love someone, we're like, well, I don't want to love. Well, I want you to think broader than this. When God invites us, commands us with what Jesus called the greatest commandment, to love him, there's a backstory to that. And that is the reason that we should love God is because he first loved us. In fact, probably if you just go, all right, fine, I'm going to love you because you're bigger than me and there's nothing I can do about it relationship with God's going to be pretty flat. But the Bible actually says that we, we learn to love God because he loved us. He loved us when we didn't care about him. He loves us when we mess up. He loved us so much that he gave his only son. He loves us so much that he thinks about us all the time, more than the sand on the seashore. When we lie down, when we rise up, God loves us. And you're like, well, if he loves me, why is my life so bad? Don't look at your circumstance. Look at the cross. It's there at Calvary that we realize Jesus loves us and he died to forgive us. But he doesn't force himself on us. He invites us to come and to love him, to pursue a relationship with him. And I want to suggest a couple things that that are involved in that. Number one, if you're going to have a, a relationship with God, to love him, God wants you to delight in him. He wants you to enjoy him, not, not look at him as a taskmaster like, you better follow me. Jesus told an interesting story. He said there was a guy who sold pearls, but one time he found this pearl that was so beautiful that he sold everything that he had. For joy, he bought that pearl. And what Jesus is is, is really saying there is, I'm that pearl. When God opens your eyes and you realize who I am, nothing else matters. We, We often try to change our kids' affections, you know, stop liking that, start liking this. When you, when you start seeing Jesus and realizing how wonderful and gracious he is, how awesome he is, how patient and merciful he is, he becomes so precious that you learn to delight in him. You learn to enjoy him. You learn to see that you're not trying to be perfect, but you're trying to perfect your relationship with him. And so God's inviting us to love him. But if I'm going to love him, if I'm going to respond to his grace and say, God, thank you for forgiving me. Help me to follow you. I think we need to remember that that takes diligence. This isn't going to happen by accident. Just like human relationships. If you want to have a good marriage, you have to be diligent. It's like gardening. You don't throw seeds in there and go, oh, I'll come back in the fall and have all the fruit. You've got to work at it. And to have a relationship with God The Bible says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I want to challenge you this morning to ask yourself, how high of a priority is it for you to have a relationship with God? You say, oh, pastor, it's a high priority. Well, here's a simple test. Do you spend time with him every day or at least try to? Have you learned to develop a habit of a quiet time with God How many of you go, I don't even get time to talk to my old lady, my wife, right? What? You don't talk to your spouse all day? That's dysfunctional. 
And if you don't talk to God or sit down with him and read his word, it suggests that your priorities are out of whack. And there may be some reasons why you're not doing that. Maybe you don't want to. Maybe you feel like it's not working. And that's why we're here to disciple one another. I don't jump up every morning going, can't wait to be with Jesus. But God's saying, seek me with all of your heart. And so some of you needed to be quickened this morning, reminded you, like, yeah, I used to do that. Jesus spoke of those who lost their first love. I fall there, and I realize, oh, God, forgive me. Stir my affections for you again. But if you're not spending time with the Lord, delighting in Jesus, then you're out of kilter here, and Christ is calling you back and inviting you to enjoy him. So, so I'm pursuing that relationship. I, I'm, I'm, I'm spending time with him, and I'm, I'm calling out to him, and I'm wanting to walk with him. But also, it involves doing what he says. Do what pleases him. If, if I'm going to love the Lord, a friend of mine came to me one day. He said, can you pray for my mom? She's living with this guy. She loves Jesus, but, you know, she's living with a guy they're not married. I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, do you really think your mom loves Jesus? What? Well, it, if she's living with a man and she's not married, Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll do what I say. And so part of, of, of loving God is to say, Lord Jesus, you died for my sins. You, you, you gave your life to forgive me. Now I want to live for you, which means I want to change, I want to grow. I can't just live my own selfish ways and say, well, I want what Jesus offers, but I ain't following him. You see, Christ calls us to come and, and love him and trust him and do what he says. To be faithful, to, be, to seek to be pure sexually, to be honest, to not live for money and covetousness and pride and foolishness, but, but just to, to enjoy and delight in God. And so God says, I want you to love me. But then he says, I want you to pass that on. I want you to pass this relationship on to your kids. These words which I'm commanding you shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your kids. Well, well, how do you do that? How do you pass on your faith to the next generation? What a blessing, 150 to 200 kids downstairs. I don't think there's one simplistic answer, but I want to suggest a couple of things from this passage. Number one, we have to take time with them. Look what it says. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. All of those terms involve relationships, right? You're sitting with your kids. Some of you don't even eat dinner together. Or you sit in front of the TV all the time. That's not talking to them. So spend time talking to your kids. And it's going to take time. Don't just sit them down and say, we're going to talk now. You know, but just make it a, a, a prayer and a desire to sit and listen. To really say, what, what, what are you thinking? What's going on in your life? Tell me about your day. We've kind of lost that in our busyness. But then he says, in addition to taking time with them, God wants us to tell our kids our story. Later on in this chapter, in, in verse 20, Moses says this, And then when your children ask you, Why are we doing these commandments? You shall tell them. We were slaves in Egypt, and God redeemed us. Do your kids know your story? Do your family members know 
what Christ has done for you? Do you have a testimony to tell them of how and why the Lord's important? You don't have to go, oh, I was gloriously saved on June 7th. Some people don't remember when they were saved, but you ought to know that you are saved, and you ought to be able to tell them your story. And don't be afraid to be honest and say, hey, I wandered from the Lord. Or, hey, I, didn't, I wish I, I was raised with this. I didn't grow up, my wife and I didn't have Christian role models. We didn't grow up in Christian homes, so we're like clueless, you know? And so you, can, you can't just sit down and tell your kids, we're going to read the Bible. But, but let them know your story and let them hear what God's doing in your life. But then most, most importantly, he says, teach them diligently. Well, what's that going to look like if, if I say, Lord, I want to pass on to my kids a vibrant Christian faith, my grandkids. How, how do I do that? And that's why we say the church is not here to replace you. We're here to partner together. We all need prayer, and we need a community, and we need resources, and we need role models. But I want to suggest a couple things real quick that you can think about. If you're going to teach your children how to walk with Jesus, that involves being open and honest, a sense of integrity when we failed. We're all failures in one way or another. We're all in process. We've all made mistakes. And following Jesus isn't easy, right? If it was, everybody would be flocking to doing it. But Jesus says, broad is the road that leads to destruction. So it's okay to let our kids say, see our mistakes. Be quick to apologize. Instead of saying to your kids, how could you do that? Well, I know how they could do that because they're sinners. And half the time, if they were smart enough to ask, did you ever do that? That would end that conversation quickly, right? <laughs> so we come alongside them and say, listen, I understand. There's times I don't want to obey God, or there's times other things are more important, but, but let's talk about it. Let's pray for one another. So you, you, you and I want to try to do that by our integrity, but also by our instruction. You shall teach them, okay? They're not going to learn about Christ by osmosis. Okay, and, and frankly, notice that most of this teaching is relational. It's not classroom. Okay, now we're all going to sit down, and I'm going to teach you about God, whether you like it or not. So, so, so I think about that. All right, what is that going to look like for me to instruct my children? Because remember, the Bible teaches that we're born opposed to God. The Bible says we're born hostile to God. We're born foolish. Children don't naturally go, Father, Shall we rise for church this morning? Don't forget, it's Bible time, Dad, right? The natural inclination is to leave God out of our lives. The Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You're like, but my cute little baby, he's not a sinner. God says, they're vipers and diapers. No, that's extreme. <laughs> no, but, but, but think about it, right? They're selfish, and we're trying to train them. Stop it, right? And we're trying to teach them, this is not what Jesus wants. So, so what does it look like to instruct our children? How do we do that? Well, I, I'm not an expert, but I know God says it involves this book. He says, these words should be on your heart. Oh, how precious. Little Billy learned his verses. Are you learning verses? I get bugged when I hear people say, oh, I can't memorize like I used to when I was a kid, so I don't do that. Nonsense. I mean, you can't memorize. We all can take time to learn the word, to be in the word. How many godly young people have I, have, have I heard them say, I can remember seeing my mom 
each morning in the Word. So, so, so what does it look like? Well, a couple things. How do I instruct my kids? I, I want to I pursue my relationship with God and pass it on to kids. And I want them to walk with the Lord. Well, first of all, and Jeremy's going to talk more about this, it's our example, right? If we're fussing and screaming all the way to church and then we're like, hello, brother, right? They see right through that. And, and, and if all God is is just for an hour on Sunday morning or I was talking to, to a pastor's daughter the other day. She says, you know what? My dad was really strict, but my dad was fun. He was fun. He loved us and he spent time with us. So, so our example, we want them to grow up in a joyful, relaxed environment. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says this. Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So, so think about this. We want our kids to believe in the Lord. We want them to follow the Lord. So think about this balance between communication and correction. Communication and correction. You know what's a tragedy? In America, you, can get a, you can't get a driver's license without reading books, passing tests, and showing that you're competent. But you can have kids and be clueless. And that's part of the purpose of the church, to help us to have a community, to have older people training younger people, being mentors. I can remember asking mentors, hey, did you give your kids allowance? Did you spank your kids? What did you do for that? How did you do that? And so I want to encourage you. Jeremy's going to mention a book called The Age of Adolescence. Some of you are going, these terrible teens. And this is an awesome book. It says, these aren't terrible teens. This is the best time in the world to raise kids, to learn to talk with them. So, so we raise them by our example. We raise them by a philosophy of communication. We're going to talk about the Lord. We're going to talk about the gospel. And we're going to have correction. Hey, please, if you haven't thought about a philosophy of discipline, I mean, it's just insane what I hear. I, I had a, a Christian woman tell me, she goes, I never tell my kids no because that's how they learn how to say no back. You need to think that through. Some of you have bought into the world system that if, if, if you correct them or if you discipline them, that, that they're going to hate you because you're mean. Do you know the book of Proverbs says the opposite? If you don't correct your children, they'll grow up to hate you. So please, think about a philosophy. Some of you are like, spankings of the devil. You know, you're going to turn your kids into ex-murderers. Develop a philosophy. Read the Bible. There's great books out there. Dobson's book, Parenting Isn't for Cowards, or Dare to Discipline. But ultimately, I want to encourage you to pray. To me, you say, God, I want my kids to walk with Christ. I want my grandkids to walk with Christ. Then pray. Hard, fast, and continuously. Believe God. I spoke for 16 straight summers at Camp Spofford. It was family week each week, 300 people there. But on Tuesday nights, I would often say, all right, any of you who has a wayward child or you just want to pray for your kids, you come on Tuesday night. And it was just powerful. People would just pour their hearts out, sharing their struggles, their fears. Some of you right now are going, oh, I blew it. I, I have so many regrets. Prayer. God has so many promises about the power of prayer. And if you're struggling with your kids this morning, don't give up praying. Don't give up praying. Jesus spoke often about persistence in prayer. Sometimes when it comes to prayer, you might feel like you're bothering God. You're not bothering him. 
Isaiah 64 says, You who remind the Lord, give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. God loves for you to pray for your spouse, your marriage, your kids. Pray for their, their spouses in the future. I am so thankful that all three of my kids are, are my one daughter's married to a godly young man. My other two are marrying believers who are godly. I'm grateful for that. And I don't take the credit like, oh, follow me. I'm, listen, God did that through much prayer and grace and mercy. So I want to encourage you, don't give up. Some of, some of you are so brokenhearted, you're like, what can I do? You can always pray. Pray for your kids to be protected. 2 Thessalonians 3, I adopted this prayer years ago. As I thought of all the abuse in America, Paul said, pray that God will keep us from evil men, for not everyone has faith. Parenting isn't for cowards, but, but prayer is remarkable. And so, Please, if you get nothing else out of this, pray for this church and for parents and marriages and kids that God will do a revival, that he will do marvelous things. There was a time when my kids weren't walking with the Lord and I found a verse in Isaiah, chapter 40, God said this. He said, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and this one shall write on his hand, I belong to the Lord and that one shall call on the name of God of Jacob and this one shall say, I am of the Lord. And I said, wait, there's three of them. Oh, God. And I put that on my refrigerator, and I prayed that day after day. Lord, bring my kids back to you. Bring them to walk with you. Don't give up. Pray for me. I'm not up here saying, oh, look what. We all need prayer. Pray diligently. So as we close this morning, I just want to challenge you to pursue your relationship with God and then seek to pass it on to our kids. I'm excited. 200 kids. God, bring 2,000 kids in here. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come to me. Janet was right. Most people come to Christ before they're 18. These are significant times. We're here to help. We don't have all the answers. But as we pray and the Holy Spirit works in our church, we're seeing remarkable things happen. Amen? And I want to encourage you to believe God, no matter how bleak it looks right now, no matter how brokenhearted you are, the game ain't over. Nothing's impossible with God. Amen? So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. You know we love our kids you know that sometimes our hearts are broken. And I'm sure, Lord, that we've broken your heart many times by our foolishness. But I pray for our church for great revival. Lord, there need to be significant changes in many families. And this morning I pray that we will not be exasperated or give up hope, but that we will be encouraged that the Lord is working with us. The Lord is for us. Who can be against us? You didn't spare your own son. You delivered him up. So, Lord, hear our prayers that this church and each member of the body of Christ here will be involved serving our kids, serving with our youth, praying and encouraging and mentoring and discipling one another. We thank you, dear Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This time, Pastor Jeremy's going to come, and he's going to talk about the youth ministry that you can pray for. And then, kids, he's got a great story with a wheelbarrow. Morning. I'm Jeremy Micklack. I'm the pastor of youth and young adults here at Bible Fellowship. And one great opportunity that we have as a church is our youth ministry for grades 7th to 12th. And we meet um, here from 645 to 845 every Tuesday night. So if you haven't been able to come, um, we have an opportunity this summer all through July and into August. So if you have students who are in grades 7th grade to 12th grade, we'd love to have you come um, and join us. And as Janet mentioned earlier, 
the youth ministry doesn't exist to substitute your role as parents, as a spiritual mentor, as the most important spiritual influence. The youth ministry exists to help our students to grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ, to become more like him. But it's not to replace your role as parents. And, you know, Janet went through some some resources, and I want to quickly go over a few that are even located in your bulletin. Um, The Age of Opportunity is a great book, um, just talking about how kids during this time in their life, they're very teachable and moldable. Um, And the things that they learn by watching you uh, will influence how they'll parent their own children and how they'll live when when they're older. Another really, really awesome resource is cpyu.org stands for Center for Parents and Youth Understanding. It's a great resource for parents and others who are involved with youth ministry um, just to understand the culture of America and how our culture and media is influencing teens and how we can make an impact in their life. Um, And one more is Sticky Faith. Um, It's a book about how teens are leaving the church, they grow up going through church and going to youth group, and it talks about how about half of those students don't stick with their faith beyond high school. And I wanted to bring that to our attention, not so that we become angry with our kids, not to become angry with the world, but so that we can examine our own life. Because I think the best way that we can help our students to continue on their faith after high school so that they can pursue a loving relationship with Jesus Christ and become part of the church beyond high school is to model that for them, is to live out what it means to have true faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that because we have a Savior that has come to this earth, lived a perfect life, and gave up his own life for us so that we can have a relationship with God, it's going to change everything about our life, every aspect. It's going to change the way that we spend our money, the words that we say, the actions that we, that we do. And as parents, you spend about 3,000 hours with your kids in a given year. And just within our church, as a youth pastor, and even within the own church walls, we spend about 50 hours with our kids. As parents, you are the biggest spiritual influence on your children. And they're watching you, and they're listening. And so we can't expect our students to live differently than how we're living. If we feel like we're only loving God one day a week, how can we expect our students to love God for the rest of their lives? And so I want to challenge each one of us, whether we're parents or whether we're not, that our students are watching us, and we need to live a life that makes Christ the priority, not just another priority. Because what's going to happen if, if we gain everything and yet we don't have that relationship with Christ? How is that going to influence our own children? So the best way to help our youth stick with their faith after high school is by examining our own life and understanding how to model that true behavior, true life in Christ. Understanding that because Christ has saved us that we want to show that to our kids. And so I want to I kind of demonstrate that telling a story And so if there's any kids, if you can't really see what's going on on the stage, there's a lot of room up front. So I want to encourage you to get out of your seats, come up front. Adults, you're welcome to. But I have something really special for us. 
As Tom mentioned, that I had a wheelbarrow, and I want to tell a story. So there was this man who was an amazing, amazing tightrope walker. And he was so skilled and so talented that he conquered the easy tightrope walking, even just tying it to two trees and walking across. So he wanted to be so brave and so courageous that he decided to tightrope walk the Niagara Falls. So he got his equipment out, he got his rope, and he tied it to one side of the Niagara Falls, and he had people on the other side to help him out with the rope, and they tied it to the other side. And he was so good that when he walked across this rope, he never showed any signs of doubt, but he was so confident in his skills. So early in the morning, the tightrope walker had his rope set up across the Niagara Falls, and he'd take his time, and there he would go each morning. He'd take one step out of another, and he'd make his way all the way across the Niagara Falls. And he would do this day after day after day. And after about a week, there was such a massive crowd that had gathered because they would love to watch this guy walk across the Niagara Falls. Nobody else would ever dare to even try that, even think about it. And here this guy is. So they would want to go out there and watch him. So an enormous crowd had gathered, and there he was. The next morning, he got out on his tightrope. And he started to walk. And he'd look straight out, not even looking at his own feet. And he'd make it across. And the crowd was so large that after they watched the tightrope walker make it to the other side, the crowd screamed and cheered. The crowd screamed and cheered. Thank you. And the next morning, he decided to go and be more dangerous because of how confident he was in his ability. So the next morning, he brought out a wheelbarrow. And he asked the crowd, do you believe that I can take this wheelbarrow and go across this tightrope, all the way across the Niagara Falls? And the crowd shouted, yes, I believe, I believe. I know you can do it. We've seen you do it day after day after day. I believe you can take that wheelbarrow across. So the tightrope walker took his wheelbarrow, confidently, courageously, lined it up with his tightrope, and he took it straight across, all the way across to the other side. And he was so skilled, he didn't shake at all, no sign of doubt. So the next morning, he came with his wheelbarrow and piles and piles of brick, and he said, do you believe that I can take this wheelbarrow across with 500 pounds of brick inside my wheelbarrow? So the crowd, they were shouting, yes, I believe, I believe. So there he took his brick, brick after brick, and piled it into his wheelbarrow till there was 500 pounds in his wheelbarrow. And he made his way across. He lined his wheelbarrow up. And he made his way straight across, all the way across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. 
And the crowd went wild. And they couldn't believe their eyes of what they had just seen. This man walked all the way across on this thin little rope, all the way across the Niagara Falls with 500 pounds in his wheelbarrow. So the next morning he came. He brought out his wheelbarrow. But this time he didn't bring his bricks. Just had his wheelbarrow. And he asked the crowd, Do you believe that I could take a person, take them in this wheelbarrow, and take them across this thin rope, all the way across the Niagara Falls? The crowd started saying, Yes, I believe, I believe. We've seen you do it with 500 pounds. Of course you could put a person there and take them across. So the man who was so skilled with tightrope walking, he said, who will get in? (laughs) The crowd was so silent, they started murmuring to themselves, I would never do that. That guy's insane. Why Why would he ask me to do that? And so all the way in the back, all the way in the back, a man came, made his way up through the crowd, He was brave enough to get in the wheelbarrow. And that morning, that morning, the tightrope walker made his way all the way across to the other side. And the crowd went nuts at what they had just seen. Thank you. Thank you. And they couldn't believe their eyes that this man, he just brought another person all the way across in his wheelbarrow. And the next morning, the tightrope walker took down his rope and he never walked again. And this is a picture of our own faith. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth as a substitute for you, that you realize that you're a sinner and that on your own we're eternally separated from God. But God came and he sent Jesus to live a perfect life and he died on the cross for you and for me and for everyone in the world and that anybody who puts their faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done And that three days later, God raised him from the dead. If you believe that, God says that he'll forgive your sins and you'll be able to have a relationship with him. And you'll spend eternity in God's presence. My question to you is, do you believe? God is calling you to believe in his son Jesus. And it's a little bit different than getting into a wheelbarrow and going across the Niagara Falls. But he's calling you and asking you, do you believe? And if you've already put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've already believed that, and you have that relationship with God, are your your beliefs causing you to action? Are you somebody who's just like in the crowd that shouted, yeah, I believe, I believe, but you're too afraid to be the one to get up 
and go into the wheelbarrow? Are you too afraid to do something about it? To live out what you believe? And I want to encourage you that if that's you, there's so many opportunities just within our church that we need volunteers to help with. We need volunteers to help serve in the children's ministry and the youth ministries. We need people who are willing to go out of their way to share the gospel with people just here in Yardley. There's many ways that God is calling us to action. And a true faith helps us to understand that we want to change the way that we live. We need people who are going to be generous with their money, generous with their time, wanting to seek out relationships with other people to help them believe so that they can draw others closer to Jesus. And so I want to encourage you today, if that's you, if you've just been coming to church and realizing, I want to get involved, that I'm tired of just coming here and listening, but I want to get involved because that's what God wants me to do. That's what God commands me to do. He wants me to be a part of this body. And if that's you, I, I want to encourage you to, to talk to with one, of our, one of our pastors um, how, we, how we can help you to get more involved. But if you've never made that decision, you've never made the decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I urge you to make that decision today. Because you never know when you're going to give that, have another time to, to make that decision. So at this time, I just want to bow our heads together and close our eyes and, and to pray. And God, we, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and how amazing you are that you've loved us. That even though we are sinners, Christ died for us. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if there's people here this morning who have never made that decision, and this is the very first time that you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're sitting there now in your heart, you're saying, God, I believe that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And if that's you this morning, I just ask that you would just raise your hand because one of our pastors would love to speak with you and encourage you. And we have a small booklet just to help to go through with you to help you understand what it means to, to live a life according to God's word. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I'm not ready to get into that wheelbarrow. I'm not ready to make that decision. I just want to urge you that we don't know when we're going to have more time and that this is the most important decision you could ever make. And God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And God, we ask that you would Encourage us, give us boldness to live out our faith, that our faith would cause us to action. And Lord, we thank you for the youth. We thank you for the children that you're bringing to this church. And God, we thank you for the, the parents that you're raising. God, would you raise us to become mighty warriors for Christ? We pray these things in, in his name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.